0: Welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trumbull, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trumbull from the Executive Pill, And you know what today is. <laughs> you guessed it. Today is a good day. Today we have two phenomenal guests. I, yes, you heard me. I said two. I didn't say one. I said two because today we're going to do something really fun. We're going to have um, the phenomenal, phenomenal CEO of Wapa, Mr. Shane Cantville. And he's going to be joined by another phenomenal leader, Mr. David Vella. And David Vela is... <sighs> I actually want to tell you a story about him, but we're I, I want to tell you about the story with him on camera. So with no further ado, Mr. David Vela, act, uh, former acting deputy and director of the National Park Service, CEO, uh, Shane Canfield, how are you two doing today? Hi, right, Thank you. Great. Thanks for I'm having here. us. I I want to share a story with all of you um, before we get rolling. This, this this young me, this young Alex Trimble, you know, at one point in my career, I was – I was working the national parks. I was working for the uh, office of secretary within the Department of the Interior. And I was so, it's overseeing exec ed, and I was looking for my next opportunity. And I ran into what, who was then the, the uh, director of the US National Park Service, and asked him if I could meet with him just to talk more about his programs and whatnot. And he, he said yes. <laughs> so about a month later, I went to his office and, and spoke to him along with two phenomenal leaders, Mr. David Vela and Mr. George McDonald. And these two individuals, about 15 minutes into the conversation, offered me a job, offered me the, the ability to, to step into a role, into a, a, a leadership role within the National Park Service. And I think that's where our conversation needs to start off. I'm going to start off with you, with you, David. How do you decide when to invest into to young talent, how do you decide when it's time to give someone an opportunity that they may not have had in the, few, in the, in the past? Uh, first impressions are, are important impressions. They're not the only, but
1: clearly important. And you left a very lasting impression uh, during that time we had a chance to visit. I think you can tell just by, you know, the, the dedication and the commitment and passion that someone has uh, for what they want to do, they exude it. Uh, they they draw confidence from it, and it's when you when you've interviewed a lot of people, you've you've been in in hundreds of meetings. Uh, you have this little spidey sense uh, that uh, I need to pay attention to this person because this person has maybe an idea to contribute or maybe can contribute personally. On our payroll uh or at least be someone that i definitely want to reach out to so i i think it's a combination of things i think it's charisma i think it's passion i think it's just commitment their body language um which reflects the essence of who they are
0: well thank you david and and we're going to dive into that a bit more, but I want to kick that question over to Shane really quickly as well. How do you decide when it's when it's the time to to invest in that next generation?
2: I'm going to say David hit a lot of um, important notes, the same ones that um, that that I would say. I think uh, looking for that passion, and there's another piece that I look for, and that is that is curiosity. Now, does the person really want to get a layer or two further down? Because a lot of people, not a lot of people, but people can have a good surface level um, presentation. But you got to f- feel that curiosity. Are they going to ask you a question, which is good, intriguing, one layer down, and have that conversation with you about it. It doesn't mean they have to be a technical expert, for example, on every single thing. You don't expect somebody to to know that. But um, I think David hit hit the nail on the head. I have nothing uh, other than perhaps curiosity. But my guess is David also looks for that too.
1: Well, no, that's well said. Uh, That is an important uh, attribute. Uh, And and whether that curiosity can can be sustained throughout the course of a conversation or a series of conversations. Absolutely. Good point.
0: Well, I I want I'm going to stick with you, Shane, and we'll bounce to David. Um, Look, the reality is, as a leader. You and both of you are, are very senior, very accomplished leaders. Um, I assume that you have a a record of success, and that record probably is important to you. You you probably want to maintain that record. And the reality is, is that when you give someone an opportunity, there's no guarantee that they're going to be successful. Um, so is is that something that you weigh when you're when you're trying to? Decide whether it's time for that person, not only for their success, cuz you don't want them to maybe fall on their face, but also is, is there a piece of you that you have to think about? Well, you know what? Also, if I bring someone to the table who's not ready, then that may reflect on me as well.
2: Yes, but I, I don't dwell on that necessarily. I do think, uh, especially with somebody who might be new to the executive level, you have to go into it recognizing once you make a decision and a commitment to that person that... Um, you're going to be honest with them. You will provide uh, mentoring and coaching where needed. You will listen and learn from them because people always bring, i like to have, I like to hire people that know more about a certain subject than I do just to get going. I, I, you know, I think David would agree. We have to have that right. You, I expect my CFO to know a lot more about finance than I do. Um, and then if somebody has a stumble, you talk them through it. You, you, if it's an honest mistake, then you work through it and you, and you have their back. And um, I think people appreciate that. I think it, uh, it's good for the organization. It's good for your success rate. And you also build an, an allegiance and an alliance with somebody who's a critical player in your business. So uh, yes, there's a risk. Alex, but I think that risk uh, is generally manageable. Does that mean you might occasionally choose wrong? Yes, but I would say far more than not. You choose well and you give that person support, you give them leeway, you give them guidance that helps them along the way. And um, that becomes a partnership. Yes, I'm still the boss, but we become partners.
0: Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been ensuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or replacement for Fagley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA group term life insurance and see how much you could save by visiting W A E. PA.org today. David, I want to throw the same question at you. Um, I mean, again, you are in a very senior level position, and, and to have the backing of of you and your role um, gives someone some off, right? But it also there there's a risk to having that off behind it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and Shane was was correct. I mean, I think another very important element is is trust, Um, and I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're not born senior executives, these are learned skills and abilities. And we're constantly learning, even in retirement. Two years later, I'm still learning things. And and that's a good thing. That's just uh, part of my evolution as a human being and a contributing member of society. Uh, So we have to be realistic about what our expectations are. And as Shane's point, be encouraging, be mentoring, uh, and be prepared to be mentored as well. Uh, mm. You know, humility is a very important, in my mind, um, character trait uh, that I know served me well. Many times uh, in meetings at the highest levels of the federal government, uh, I had no problem admitting, you know, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. There are people that are much more knowledgeable about me, and I'm going get, to get with them and get their thoughts and perspectives. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And even if you're the other person talking to Shane and, and David Villa, you know, hopefully they will admit the same that, look, I feel that I'm prepared, but I'm not there yet. Help me, guide me, mentor me, correct me when I need to be corrected uh, and, and show me the path forward that you're comfortable
0: with. So it's a two way street in my mind. Yeah so like, like I, everyone, everyone knows you've been, you've been hearing me right now. I've been super calm. I've been been very insightful um, with my questions, but, but now I'm, now I'm starting to get riled up. Okay. So we're going to have this conversation. Okay. So we talked about you, both of you now brought up the the point of you, you have to be um, uh, willing to, to put yourself out there and say, I don't know this. I don't know this. Um, However, do you believe that I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to put the question out there. The most, the newest generation to the workforce, do you feel that they 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 have the ability to say that I don't know? Um, I was having a conversation with some leaders um, that there are some challenges they're, they're dealing with their organization, um, and what they're finding is that a lot of the younger individuals are like weighing in on stuff that they just they basically don't understand why things are you know like there's policies there's, there's laws there's certain certain things that have to work um but they they're not willing to let's say step back and learn it they're just like hey if i don't if you don't hear me if you don't implement this you don't value my 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 what i bring that i'm gonna leave and they made an example like hey look it's like the yelp on yelp you can say whatever you want on google you say whatever you want with no no retaliation against you and maybe that's what a lot of organizations are now dealing with with people just saying stuff and wanting stuff um and not willing to necessarily be be wrong or learn. I would love to hear from either of you. Um, and I, again, I can I can go to you, David first. You know, have you experienced or have you heard of leaders dealing with this challenge um, recently? Yeah,
1: I think uh, one of the the things that I would hear from my hiring officials, uh, in this case, park superintendents uh, in the National Park Service uh, and division chiefs were expectations of the applicant. You know, and, and my generation, Baby Boomers uh, generation, uh, we had to move from park to park to get a promotion. Uh, my wife and I of 42 years, we moved, I think, 12 times in the National Park Service to get that promotion. And so we're willing to bide our time, prepare uh, for that next move, that next journey up the career chart. Uh, what I was hearing was, is that those expectations are different with current generations. Uh, There's no question that uh, current generations uh, on a number of fronts are much more advanced than we will ever be, especially on the technology side. Mm -hmm. But maybe on the expectation side, uh, we're a little bit more grounded in the realities of, well, this is what you need to think about to become a superintendent uh, or to become a senior executive in the federal government. You know, each person's different. It took me, um, oh, 25 years uh, to get to that level. Uh, but there were a number of positions that I had with increasing levels of complexity. I think the other thing that I've learned recently, this is a personal example that I had speaking at, uh, I do motivational speaking around the country uh, to a group of wildlife professionals, about 500 in the state of Texas. And uh, during a Q&A, I had uh, a Latina uh, that asked a very serious question. Uh, and frankly, a question that I had experienced in my 38 years of public service at the state and federal level. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, as a Latina, uh, you know, Mr. Vela, um, I get invited to meetings and I find myself being the only person of color in the room. Um, a little intimidated by that. I feel that I'm deserving of that opportunity, uh, and I don't wanna miss out on another opportunity because of what what I may say or what I may not say. So in that particular case, it's about expectations and realities of the workforce. What should I do? I wanna be true to my convictions, but I wanna be um, honorable and humble in the process and give my chain of command what I feel they need uh, based on my experiences, whether it's my community, my race, my ethnicity, my gender, et cetera. I valued that because for me, that was a a mentoring call. Help me. I'm 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 there, but I'm not there yet. uh, And I need some help. Um, And uh, so that was a clearing call for me that, you know, maybe among people of color, especially that that may be something that they may need guidance on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as members of these communities, whether you're a member or not, uh, that's something we may need to be paying attention to.
0: Shane, Shane, do you have any reactions to what David just shared?
2: Well, um, absolutely. I, I I love I love hearing that. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, hire all but one of my C-suite, and it's it's a very diverse group. And we saw, uh, and I saw lots of value in that. That was the first thing that was running through my head. But I I think back to your original question, you, um, it's okay to be confident. It's not okay to, to to run in such a way that that you put the organization at risk though. So I think you have to have a young executive who's willing to to listen and learn and yet balance that with the drive and motivation to go forward. And um, David, I, I'm assuming in, in your world, there are lots of rules. So you want to run fast, but like in our case, so we've got insurance industry rules. We've got we're a five we're a nonprofit employee benefits trust. There are rules around that. Our members are federal employees. There are things they can and cannot do. And so you put all these things together and you have to be you have to be careful. So you have to have a young executive they have to know yes, you've got runway. You can, you can run with this, but at the same time you need to ask some questions and it's also incumbent upon us as leaders to give them that baseline information so they don't go off track too much. Um, as, as, a, as a dad of two, uh, millennial, um, young people who are, are both successful, um, I understand that, the, I think, Alex, sort of the whole society now is everything's quick. You know, everything's fast. Everything yeah. is on your phone. It's immediate, you wanna get it. But there are pieces of business and life and government, I assume, mm-hmm. where you just have to slow it down and you have to be thoughtful. So it can't just be one dynamic of, a, of an executive running forward. Everybody would like to run forward. But if you run forward too fast and you trip over one of these rules or laws or regulations, especially in different business models, and I assume governments this way, too, you can make a serious error. So there's a balance here. And and a young hard charger, you don't want to take that spirit away at all.
0: So how do you do do that? How, how, How do you how do you how do you provide that guidance when when they feel like you're just trying to stall them or you're you're the old generation or you you're the establishment and what you're trying to help them learn is like you know, think some things just take time. How do you how do you thread that needle? What did he just what? say, David? The old generation? Is, Is that it? what he just said? I don't mean like that. <laughs> Is that what you? Mean? Because I include myself in this. Yeah, uh, uh, no, we resemble that though. <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, be back for a did. commercial. Um, after commercial. <laughs> if you're a Mandarin in the federal government, do you have feds protection professional liability insurance? because if you don't, you need to get it. Having a Fed's policy means that you will be protected against any professional capacity lawsuit, administrative action, or criminal investigation arising from actions taken in the scope of your employment. This insurance is a must-have for federal managers and starts at just $290 a year. Plus, your agency will reimburse you for half of this cost. To learn more, visit www.fedsprotection.com or call 866-955-3337 today.
1: Yeah, you know, Shane's exactly right, you know, and and especially in the federal government where, you know, you have pay grades and, and with every pay grade comes classification requirements that require a certain level of expertise and complexity. Well, that takes time. You know, to, to do that. Uh, and I think just setting the realistic expectations about, one, the nature of the job and the nature of the business that they're in, in this case, the federal government, um, and, and just... Um, you know, providing a roadmap. I don't know if, if the government still has it. I, I think we do. We had something that I remember having when I entered the, the National Park Service in 1981 uh, called an individual development plan. It was kind of kind of like a roadmap for each job that you held as to, okay, while in this job, these are the proficiencies that I need to have, but I'm lacking in, in three of the five. So training, detailed assignments are going to help me to get that. Uh, and in the next opportunity, maybe at a different higher grade level, the same thing. But also, here's what I could do to get to that next level. Um, you know, establish a network, join committees, regional committees, Washington office committees, you know, where to further build that expertise, uh, build that network, but also to, to help it, and, and, and You know, Shane said it right. We don't want to limit uh, or, or minimize that enthusiasm. We want to make sure that can, that burning desire is still there. But we want to temper it with the realities of the businesses that we're in while providing encouragement and support and mentorship in the process.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's, and that's on us, right, David, Absolutely. as leaders. It's, we, Absolutely. You, you're mentioning, you know, I w- we would call that a professional development plan. Yep. Um, you, but a young person isn't going to know all that. We, it's our job to give that to them lead them through it. It's their job to be receptive and take that seriously. And um, I think young professionals are, are, um, receptive to that. They're open to that. It's, But it's got to happen. That conversation has to happen for the good of the organization, to fulfill the organization's mission. We need a well-rounded uh, cadre of, of executives leading the organization, not just at the tippy top, but all the way through it.
0: Uh, Shane, I'm going to ask you this question, too, but I want to ask David first. Um, you can help us all out. What was your last title before you left the National Park Service?
1: (laughs) It was a quite long one. So uh, You can give us the abbreviated one. (laughs) The working title was Deputy uh, uh, and Acting Director of the National Park Service. But uh, my official title was Deputy Director Exercising the Authority of the Director of the National Park Service. And the reason for that was... I was nominated by uh, by President Trump to serve as the 19th director of the National Park Service. I went through Senate confirmation, got out of my committee with a near unanimous vote. Uh, Like many of us that were approved out of committee, we were sent to the floor. And unfortunately, the Congress adjourned. Time ran out. New Congress comes in. The president has to renominate you and you go through the whole process all over again. However, in this case, uh, the, the new chairman of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee said, Dave, we're not gonna put you through that. As soon as you get renominated, you're gonna go right to the floor. That didn't happen. So, <laughs> by secretarial order, Secretary David Bernhardt, um, I still have the opportunity of, and the honor of running the National Park Service. But with the title of deputy director, exercising the
0: authority of the director, that's why that happened. <laughs> so everyone, see this long explanation. This is dover- <laughs> this, this is government for you. It's federal
1: um, no government. <laughs> it,
0: it is what it is. I, I was going to add, you know, Shane, your 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 title isn't as ex- is exciting. I apologize. You're just you're just the CEO. Um, but for <laughs> for both of you, for both of you. It took something to get to where you are. It took much more than hard work. I I, I would say that both of you um, are extremely hard workers, and there's no way you would have been where you are and to achieve what you have achieved without working hard. But there are many, many, many hard workers out there. Um, So I'd love to ask both of you. I'll start with you, David, and then you, Shane. how did you make it to your to that role it, it, again, in addition to hard work? Let's, let's sit that on the table and move to that. What did it take for you to be able to get to where you got to?
1: Well, there, there are three uh, ethics that uh, have served me well that my parents impressed upon us. And that was faith, family and country. And I had role models. That literally were right down the hall from my bedroom. My parents. My dad was a proud Navy veteran. Uh, we were. We came from humble beginnings and rural southeast Texas, outside of Houston. Uh, and so it began with my parents, uh, and then it began uh, also with friends, and 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 then later colleagues uh, in the National Park Service. Uh, you know, some of the legends of the Park Service, the first African-American uh, director of the National Park Service, Bob Stanton. Uh, you know, Fran Manella, the first woman, uh, female director uh, of the National Park Service, recently deceased, uh, the first naturalized U.S. citizen to be director, Mary Beaumont. Uh Previous directors, Russ Dickinson, John Jarvis, Ron Walker. All of these individuals are very, very dear friends of mine. Uh, and would give me guidance and encouragement. But also the the Latinos that went before me, that opened doors uh, of opportunity, that proved that people of color like Latinos can be chief rangers, can be division chiefs, can be superintendents and regional directors. Uh, We didn't have a a permanent deputy director uh, until we arrived, let alone a nominee that was director. Took 102 years to nominate a Hispanic to be director of the National Park Service. I was blessed to have that honor. So for me, it was family, it was friends, it was a network, people that had paid their dues, that had earned their stripes, but that had proven that People of color can indeed hold these positions uh, responsibly, sustainably, uh, with humility. Uh, And so, uh, but also, too, uh, I was guided by a very strong faith and moral compass and faith for me uh, got me through and to this very day some very challenging times uh, throughout my my career, especially sitting in the director's chair. Um, but that strong faith and moral ethical compass, I think was also critical in helping us to achieve um, 38 years of public
0: service. Thank you, David. That's, so do you, do you have a name? Is that the, the, the three Fs? Is that, three
1: uh,
0: Fs. Um. Faith, see <laughs> We 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 gotta come up with some uh, some cool like graphics. I assume you have some cool graphics for that. Um, Shane, what did it take for you to get to the CEO suite, the, the CEO suite? And this is not even your first CEO gig. Um, what was it in addition to, aside from hard work, that helped you get to where you where you are and what, you, what you've achieved?
2: Well, my personal story is I didn't do the traditional college thing right out of high school. Uh, I went to work and a lot of reasons for that. And uh, a couple of years into that, I recognized that college was something that I needed to do personally. And I started going to night school. So I did my Bachelor of Science and my MBA all at night. It took me 23 years. I don't recommend it to anybody, but I saw that that <laughs> was important. And, um, and, it, and working all along, of course, and, and raised a family and two kids. Um, and then I did four professional certifications. Two of them were, were very difficult. Um, but I kept going. I didn't have CEO in my head in mind, uh, in mind. That was not a goal per se, but I I knew that I had to work hard, that I had to learn my subject matter and that I needed to be, uh, develop and understand a leadership style. What, what does that take? That, that was a journey for me. It wasn't a light switch that went on. Um, and on a personal characteristic, I don't, I don't lose. I don't lose well, and so I'm always learning. You know, I want to get better all the time, and that kind of self reflection, I think, is very necessary. And now, it may not be necessary for every human being out there. Everybody's got their own personal style, but um, not quitting. You know, I, I think some of the some of success in life is just staying at it. And by God, when everybody else is done and quit, and you're still there you know, that says something, right? It says something to the production, the outcome, and it says something to those around you who see that. So that was kind of a, of a long answer. Um, That's cool. I, I love to show this picture. I'm going to show, I don't know if I could do this online oh, with my phone, but this is, that is my grandmother and her father. Can you see that? Oh, wow. I love this picture. <laughs> this is almost looks like a caricature, but it isn't. This is this is. Uh, they lived in southwestern rural Iowa. Um, this is my mother's mother. Uh, they've got fish for for dinner, and um, uh, she doesn't have any shoes on because she didn't always have shoes. And so, but you could see in that picture a proud dad, a happy young lady. So, um, you know, I came from a background that was was. Folks, that you, you mentioned it before, Alex, lots of people work hard. Now, now, she ended up becoming a school teacher, and my mother became a nurse. And so you, you started to see this gradual embracing of, of the recognition that, that education matters. And so I had that as a guide star through the whole thing. And, um, you know, college is not the only way to go for sure, but I do think. It can help a person in their terms of their thinking ability. Um, big fan of liberal arts degrees. Uh, I know we have to have technical degrees. You you don't want. You don't want the guy flying the 737 to have a degree in English. He's got to be <laughs> you know, proficient technically. You're a surgeon. You want to have a medical degree. So there's a lot of, of need for professional technical degrees. But I would never sell short the liberal arts degrees. And my family is, is um started out in that and continues to this day. So uh, I think everybody's story is different, Alex. I really do.
0: Yeah. He- You you know, um, two two things I gotta say. Um, One, I was um, recently I was accepted to be a a fellow of the Aspen Institute, and we went down and we talked about um, the metaverse, the future of the metaverse, um, for an entire weekend, and it was an extremely thought-provoking, interesting conversation, um, and extremely scary. because this, this 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 metaverse, this this technology that we're going to... I mean, people are going to say I'm, I'm freaking crazy, but I'm not. Like flying cars will be a thing soon. Um, we, we have micro robots that we can put in our body that will be able to help us, um, help our health. Like the technology that's coming, and in some cases already here, is it's scary, amazing, right? And what we all agreed upon after all this conversation was it's not can we do this it's should we do this we we have to have people who who are into philosophy we have to have people who are into psychology to see how these things are going to be impacting us like you're you're absolutely right we can't just focus our education and effort on those um, on the quote unquote stem field um so I, I want to say thank you for calling that out um and then you talk about you know just you, you don't lose well um and you're always talking about learning there there's a um a superintendent that both David and I know—I won't call out right now—um, she used to be my boss um, when I served as chief of staff, and one of the best compliments she gave me—I I feel like I was—I tell people about it all the time—is that she said, "Alex, you're the easiest person to give feedback to. No, no matter what happens, I can tell you how I felt about it and what you did wrong and how you can improve, and you don't take it personally." Um, I feel like. I, I really appreciated that feedback because i i do try to always grow and learn um and i i love to hear from the two of you have you ever experienced um getting some really hard feedback uh, and again not early in your career when you're when you're less experienced but when you were in the in the the roughs of your your leadership have you ever got some feedback that was, that was hard for you to hear. And how did you process it? Um, let's start with David and then we'll go to Shane. Yeah,
1: that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, and, and, and Shane will probably share this as well. You know, the chain of command is, is important from the CEO down uh, at all levels of the organization. Clearly, the same thing holds true uh, in the federal government. Uh, and it's... Um, uh. I'll I'll use climate change uh, as an example, Uh, and and Alex, to your point about the science and the technology, uh, and I won't mention the administrations, but um, where the science clearly is defining the impact of climate change, you go to our 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 national seashores uh, uh, and you see rising tides, and you see the impact of rising tides on cultural resources, archaeological resources that were losing them. Uh, you look at the catastrophic fires out west uh, and uh, the proliferation of exotic plant species. Uh, you know, just I can go on and on. Uh, and you're told, well, we're not going to talk about it. Um, How do you deal with it? Um, OK, well, maybe you talk about it in a different way. We don't have to mention climate change, but we can talk about we find ourselves in a warming environment, an environment that's changing. Uh, But I will always credit the National Park Service for continuing the science, uh, even though it was a very difficult conversation to have. We have to do that. Uh, But there are always going to be people above our pay grade that are going to direct and that are gonna demand that may be contrary in this case to the science. And that becomes challenging, but you have to own it, work within it, and still try to accommodate all of the prevailing interest on this particular issue being climate change as
0: an example. Hey, thanks David, um, I, Shane, we're gonna to bounce to you, but I'll, I'll say, I'm, I was telling someone the other day, He asked me how easy or difficult, they say, you know, it must be easy to work in the federal government. I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> to work in the federal government is probably one of the most difficult jobs ever because you have, everyone is your constituent. Everyone weighs into what you want to do and whatever you do is going to impact someone else. So no one's generally, everyone is generally not happy. Um, and you can manage those. So thank you for sharing that example. Um, Shane, uh, same question your way. Have you ever had to be, you know, again, as a leader, is it, as an a senior leader he ever received some uh, some tough feedback on 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 your performance or what you were doing and how did you deal with it
2: well i i'm going to go sideways here a little bit i have a um my my cat and you know it wasn't so long ago that um, we used to be mortified if you were working from home and an animal jumped on your, in your <laughs> camera. Remember that? You know, it's like, oh my God. You know, and, and now I just pick, she has a wonderful main food. I just pick her up, I put her down. So transparency is the new normal thing. Right? <laughs> um, it's hard to hear difficult feedback. I think you have to analyze it. Sometimes it's legit, sometimes it's. Um, there may be something else in mind. I do think you have to put on your thinking cap when you get hard feedback and just make sure that um, the motives are pure of the person giving it. That's one piece of it. How can I learn from that? Even if even if it's not maybe the way you see it and even after thinking it through, you're still not quite sure you agree with it. There's always something to learn there. So you have to remain humble. And even though a CEO job... Um, you know, if David and the government has, has a different kind of, of bosses. I have a CEO job, but I have a board of directors. These are 13 people that I report to them. And then as a nonprofit, we do the work for and on behalf of the 40, in our case, 46,000 people who are in our plan. And we have not just an ethical, but a fiduciary duty to them. So at least in the world I live in, yes, I'm the leader of, of the organization, but I still have um, uh, many bosses, if you will. Yeah. And, and if you take it all the way to the, and maybe in the case of government, David, you could might feel the same. Got, you're reporting more or less to the American people. Well, in our case, it's forty six thousand people. And everything we do in law must inure to the benefit of the participants. So you have to stay humble. And when you get good feedback, <coughs> excuse me, listen to it, yeah. um, and and learn from it, because no matter how hard it is, there's something in there that's useful yeah. always. So I don't know if that answers your question directly, but um, I, I, I think we're all servant, uh, at least most of my career, I've been in a servant leadership
0: position. I completely agree with you and you're absolutely right. You made me think of a quote from um, Bill Clinton. Uh, I watched uh, him say one time, he says, he says, take all feedback seriously, but not personally. Take it seriously, but not personally. Like you said, you can always find you can generally find something of value in the feedback, Um, but don't. That's hard to
2: do. What if they don't (laughs) like your time or something?
1: Well, and especially these days, frankly, you know, when it comes with a political connotation Mm. uh, and uh, boy, that is especially when you're working in Washington, uh, because, you know, Shane's right. You know, we have a number of constituencies in government. We also have Congress and then we have Mm -hmm. over 300 plus million American um, constituents uh, that that uh, owe our best and deserve our best, you know, as public servants. Uh, and uh and you know, the, the climate today is becoming more increasingly challenging. Uh, so that adage, Alex, that you just mentioned is, uh, is extremely important. It, I gotta tell you, it's tough. Uh, especially when it winds up on the front pages of the <laughs> headlines on, on the nation's newspapers, uh, you know, and to, to not take it personally. But you have to internalize. But it does give a teachable moment as well. What could I have done better? Right. You know, so it allows us to be more. Um, retrospective and why we did the things that we did or why we didn't do the things uh, in the event we find ourselves in the same situation. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is, it does provide some chinks in that armor that we put on every day. And sometimes they'll get through a little bit, but the pain is fleeting. Tomorrow's another day.
0: Look, I, I know we're running against our time. I know both of you, I, I think you both have meetings with the president um right after this. So I I I will I will do my best to wrap this up. I do want to ask you one question before I open the floor to you. You both have very have had very distinguished careers. I'd love to know, do you have like what what's the best bit of advice that you've received? Um, who gave it to you and, and why was it the best? I can give you a time to to think about it. If you if you if you're not you don't have something on the top of your head, I'm talking out loud so the audience doesn't hear blank space. And now I'm going to pick on Shane because you look ready.
2: <laughs> well, I'm just ready because my my cat is being insistent, and here she is again. <laughs> uh, and she's a Maine Coon. with our first Maine Coon? By the way, these are very large cats. What you hear about them is true, and she's just absolutely <laughs> spectacular. Um, I I would say best advice. That Alex is such a hard one. Um, I I'm going to say something that isn't necessarily in the professional world, but I give my my mother a lot of credit through example of. Showing me how to live a good and decent and hardworking life. That to me was critical. She was. These things are are timeless. You know, being being ethical, giving people the benefit of the doubt, taking the high road, making sure that if something needs to be addressed you address it quickly you address in the workplace you know you you don't ignore things you address them professionally but you don't let them fester you be you're honest about your workplace you're honest about your home life you use those same values through your whole life so you don't have two sets of values that you run with, right? I don't have one set of things I do at home, another set of things I do at work, that core value. And then you can build anything on top of that. You build a good life, you build a good professional career, you build your leadership style on those things. So I guess I that was a long answer, Alex, but I would I would say my mother showed me that in real in real life.
0: No, that's a great answer. Thank you so much, David. Let's go shoot over your side.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love Shane showing the picture of his your grandparents. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm going to go is, is family. My grandfather was a sharecropper. I've been able to document 550 years of Vela history. My ancestors we were farmers. Sharecroppers, we worked the land. Uh, Two generations were National Park Rangers. Uh, The term Vela, the meaning of Vela in Spanish means the watchman. Uh, And uh, so I've really taken that into heart because that's part of my Latino DNA you know, 550 years of ancestry and history, uh, where we worked the land, humility. uh, You know, we were not a family of financial means. We were on the welfare rolls as teenagers. Uh, That was a learning, enriching experience. My dad later became a PhD candidate, uh, and my mother retired as an administrator at a junior college running social programs. Uh, So, you know, like Shane, we didn't have to go too far for that advice. And and it may not have been verbal. It may have been through their actions, uh, through their efforts, what we what we personally saw. My grandparents couldn't read and write. But we'd have barbecues every weekend with the family. I'm the oldest of 11 grandchildren. I will never forget that. We did things that that I'm doing now with my eight grandchildren and my wife and I. Uh, and uh, so it comes down to to who you are, where you come from, where your values um, and did you pay attention to them? And it appears that Shane and I, it was personal. They were just around the corner.
0: <sighs> OK, look, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. I, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say uh, my grandfather. Um I I lost my grandfather in 2020, um, to COVID and, um, man, him and I were, him and I were so close. Um, and what, what I would say is he, I'm not even sure what this means, especially now today's context, whatever, but I would say he, he taught me how to be a man. Um, he, he taught me to be honest, to be respectful, um, and just you know, people. Some people say, "Oh, you got to earn my respect." Like that—that was not who he was. It was I. I will give everyone the same respect, and they can lose it. And I think that's kind of how I've lived my life, thinking about my my grandfather's. Is you know, be a good person, respect everyone around you, regardless of how "quote unquote" high or "quote unquote" low they be in their life, um, because you never know. Um, everyone experiences really rocky things in their life, and some people are able to to swing through those, those difficult moments. And some people unfortunately get caught up in it. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Th- th- thank you to both of you. I, I really appreciate this conversation. And honestly, the, 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 the opportunity to just think about my grandfather for a second. Um, look, I know we got some, y'all got some important places to go. So I wanted to open the floor to you again. Um Shane, David, do you have any final thoughts, words, anything you'd like to share with our audience? And let's start with Shane, and then we'll go to David.
2: Well, I I would say bumper stickers and little slogans, you see a lot of that today. You see that on social media. You see that in professional circles. Um, I grew up with it. Hang in there, baby. Remember the cat on the pole? <laughs> you know, make, make. you know, love not war. Uh, I grew up in the household with this, and it and it's all wonderful. But I will say this. Everything is not solvable in a couple of words on a bumper sticker. Get in there. Do the hard work. Really understand um, the subject. And... Um, That will pay dividends in time. It's a little difficult at times. It's a little tedious. It takes you outside your comfort zone. But I think real progress is made uh, with getting past the bumper sticker.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome, Shane. Thank you so much, (laughs) David.
2: Yeah, I like that. Uh,
1: And as a baby boomer, I reflect those remarks (laughs) because I remember them. Uh, I think for me, uh, you know, a mantra that I've been inspired by and I'm a product of that, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. I took a trip uh, in the late 60s and 70s uh, with my parents to Yellowstone National Park. The first park we stopped at was Grand Teton National Park. Uh, Over 40 years later, I'd become the 21st superintendent of that very national park. Who would have thought? uh, All I wanted to be was a United States park ranger. Wear a weapon, serve and protect our nation's most special places. And as fate would have it, And with the support of of my wife of 42 years and two children, one is following my footsteps as a chief ranger in the National Park Service, uh, we wind up in the director's chair. (laughs) Didn't dream about it. All I wanted to do was to wear the green and gray and that Smokey the Bear hat, and that was it. But when opportunities present themselves, seize them, prepare for them. Don't hesitate, don't second guess maintain a strong moral and ethical compass and with the support of a partner or your, or your spouse, make it happen. And I think Shane and I are examples and living proof of, of that.
0: Whew. Everyone, you know, how we, this, this is how we do this. is This is normal. We end, we end deep on this show. Okay. Everyone. Um, thank you so much, David. Thank you so much, Shane. Um, Look, everyone knows what I'm about to say. Don't just look back reach back. I mean, the whole beginning of our conversation today was talking about reaching back to bring people up. If you found anything of value in this conversation today, don't keep it to yourself. Don't say that person should have been here that maybe one day they'll listen to it. No, take this to them, push, share, click, comment, whatever you got to do to make sure people see this message and hear the, the phenomenal advice that was shared today and the stories and experiences, make sure you're sharing that and luck. Without any further ado, as always, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Executive Appeal with Alex Trumble. I invite you to follow The Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trumble, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and his speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.